The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, a warm welcome to this Friday edition of Scorebox. Again, could be another historic show. Who knows? You've got Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and of course, Jeff Cutmore. And these are your headlines. So the fate of the presidential race hangs in the balance as key states go down to the wire, whilst President Trump says the election is being stolen despite his camp losing legal challenges in Georgia and Michigan. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. If you count the votes that came in late, we're looking at them very strongly. Georgia is neck and neck with almost all the votes counted, whilst Pennsylvania remains too close to call. Joe Biden has called for calm and patience as the final ballots are tallied. We have no doubt that when the count is finished, Senator Harris and I will be declared the winners. So I ask everyone to stay calm, all the people to stay calm. The process is working. Fed President Jerome Powell says this is the most severe economic downturn of our lifetime and has called for political consensus on a fiscal stimulus plan. I don't want to say whether I feel like I'm being heard or not, but sure, I think there, there are plenty of people on Capitol Hill who, on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the hill, who see a need for further fiscal action and understand perfectly why that might be the case. And the Wall Street rally continues with the Dow and S&P posting four days of over 1% gains for the first time since 1982, putting major markets on track for their best week since April. Well, here we go again, another day where we're watching the inching towards uh, the uh, final votes being counted. Nevada, I'm just talking to one of our producers who herself is American, is like, how can such a small electorate be taking so long uh, when you've got two major conurbations? You've got Nevada, Reno and you've got Vegas, and that's about it, really. I mean, it's just inching there. You kind of get it with Pittsburgh. You kind of get it with Atlanta. They're complicated, big cities, but... But Vegas? Everyone's been asked to be so patient. It's quite an extraordinary call in 2020 when we've got so much fast delivery. Everything we consume is fast these days. But yeah. when it comes to a piece of paper with a vote on it, people have been asked to wait and wait again be, and yeah. wait another day. It's, it's to be fair, some people did say in advance of the election, this could take days or weeks. So I give yes. those people credit as well. Well, but, there's um, been some administrative issues, right? There were some shit. votes that were sent out that had to be then resent out because there was a problem with, with the, the paperwork. So that's taking some time as expected in, in one of the states. So the state of play is the US is inching towards a final result as votes continue to, I'm going to say, trickle in and be counted in several crucial battleground states across the country. At this moment, Democratic candidate uh, Joe Biden is ahead of the president in the key electoral college tally. That's 253 to 214. Now, you've got to remember, this is according to NBC News projections. 270 are needed to win. There are some networks out there that have called Arizona. I'm just going to say it how it is. We haven't called Arizona as a network yet. NBC stroke CNBC as well. So the tightest race, though, is in Georgia, it appears, where President Trump holds a razor thin lead of just under 2,000 votes. Now, an estimated 14,000 ballots, as Karen was saying, uh, yet to be counted. Now, according to Georgia's Secretary of State, uh, those 14,000 votes. Now, a win in Georgia for Mr. Biden would bring him just a single point away 
from victory. So meanwhile, Pennsylvania and its 20 electoral college votes are also remaining too close to call. Biden has erased nearly all of Mr. Trump's early gains in the state, thanks in part to heavy support in the Democratic-leaning city of Philadelphia. Biden said he would uh, be confident, or is confident, he would eventually win the election, but urged his supporters to remain patient as the vote is counted. It is the will of the voters, no one, not anything else, that chooses the president of the United States of America. So, each ballot must be counted. And that's what we're going to see going through now. And that's how it should be. Democracy is sometimes messy. It sometimes requires a little patience as well. But that patience has been rewarded now for more than 240 years with a system of governance that's been the envy of the world. Well, interesting that the FAA has now designated uh, Joe Biden's house in Delaware a restricted fly zone, uh, something they do um, ahead of the outcome of presidential elections if a candidate looks quite likely to uh, cross the line first. But let's talk some more about the movement of the Biden camp over the rest of the day. Sarah Daloff joins us from NBC News from Wilmington, Delaware. Good morning, Sarah, to you. Um, Obviously, the vice president here calling for calm among his supporters. Um, is there a, a sense of uh, growing hope in the Biden camp that they think they can achieve the win? Absolutely. You know, we have heard optimism and confidence from the Biden campaign since prior to election night, traveling through to election night and really beginning to peak today. You actually were getting some indications. You talk about that no fly zone we saw on the stage behind us. They were performing some sound checks. So you're starting to see these small indications that the campaign's confidence is increasing and they're becoming more certain of the idea that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be giving a victory speech on that stage behind me at some point in the near future. And as these votes are being tabulated in just these nail-biting close counts, we are also seeing um, the Biden camp really lay out their path to how they think this is going to go. You touched on some of those key states. Nevada obviously waiting for those counts. Arizona very close there. But the really big states to watch today have been Georgia and Pennsylvania, where we've watched these uh, these gaps between the candidates shrink, shrink, shrink. The more that we see provisional and mail-in ballots uh, opened and tabulated and reported. So right now, um, some really key states to watch, some really interesting states to watch as things progress. Now, Joe Biden was on the move today. He went from his home to uh, downtown to receive a briefing both on the coronavirus pandemic and the economy. Afterwards, he spoke briefly to reporters. He heard some of that there saying, uh, wanting to uh, urge patience with the vote count, uh, saying every vote will be counted. And you heard him there saying democracy sometimes can be messy, but the process is doing what the process is supposed to do. So right now he leads President Trump in electoral vote counts, 253 to 214. And he also reached another milestone. He has now garnered more votes than any other U.S. presidential candidate in the history of the country. Um, he actually broke his former boss, President uh, Barack Obama's record. That was 69.4 million. Joe Biden exceeding that. And with those counts continuing, those numbers, Jeff, continuing to go up. 
Sarah, thank you so much for the report. Sarah Daloff with us from NBC News in Wilmington, Delaware. Well, let's talk a, a little bit about President Trump and his current behavior. The president continues to cast doubt over the integrity of the election process, accusing his opponents without evidence of rigging the vote. But he hailed the Republican victory in the Senate. For the first time ever, we lost zero races in the House. I was talking to Kevin McCarthy today. He said he couldn't believe it. Zero races. Very unusual thing. Zero. And actually won many new seats with, I think, many more on the way. We kept the Senate despite having twice as many seats to defend as Democrats and in a really uh, much more competitive states. We've uh, we did a fantastic job with the Senate. I think we're very proud of what's happened there. We had many more seats to defend. Well, let's talk a a little bit about the mood in Washington. Uh, We have seen some protests outside the White House. NBC's Alice Barr joins us from Washington with more on the mood there in the presidential camp. Good morning, Alice. Good morning, Jeff. Yeah, you just laid out um, some of what President Trump had to say tonight. That was the first time that he's spoken on camera since election night. Um, And so everyone was kind of waiting to see what his posture was going to be. Um, And he is certainly not backing down from um, when we saw him uh, 48 hours ago, just about at this at this point, nearly. Um, He declared victory prematurely at that point on election night and based on very incomplete results, um, because now we're two days later and they're still incomplete. Um, claimed that he had won. Uh, so, and then in the in the interim time, he had not been on camera, which in and of itself is pretty unusual for President Trump. He had been quite active on Twitter and had been making a lot of um, claims that had been even by the platform itself, by Twitter, slapped with warning labels for being uh, potentially false and misleading, talking about the vote count and talking about allegations of fraud uh, without backing that up with any kind of evidence. So when he stepped out tonight, perhaps not surprising that that was generally the same message that he had to deliver. Um, It's interesting, you were just playing there some of the president's sound talking about the Senate races. Um, You know, President Trump was on the same ballot as uh, these Republicans that were running for Senate. So um, this argument that he's trying to to lay out that uh, the ballot was somehow invalid for him if he lost in that state, but it was uh, valid for the Senate uh, Republicans who are winning is an argument that he's going to have to figure out how to parse out as he continues with legal challenges and continues to try to make this case over the coming days. Jeff? Uh, I'll pick up there, Alice. Excellent work as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Amazing, considering what time of uh, night it is. 1 a.m. Right, OK, the uh, Federal Reserve kept rates at record lows and warned the economy is still well below its pre-pandemic level. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the central bank is considering whether emergency measures will be needed past the end of December. Mr Powell has repeatedly called for fiscal stimulus to support monetary policy and was asked if he felt he was being heard. Our main focus is on doing our job. And that is really what we're, we're focused on, is using the tools that Congress has given us and the assignment they've given us. And I think we're, we're, that is the thing that we think about night and day. I just know from, from the experience of the last cycle, uh, it helps to have the whole government working on these things. And this one is particularly that way. And I, I, I don't, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to say whether I feel like I'm being heard or not, but sure, I think there, there are plenty of people on Capitol Hill who 
on both sides of the aisle, on both sides of the hill, who see a need for further fiscal action and understand perfectly why that might be the case. Well, voters may still be on the sidelines waiting it out for the official count, but investors are placing their bets. And you can see for another day, we've got uh, more gains across the charts, the fourth positive session in a row for these major markets, but also the fourth time we've seen gains of uh, more than 1% uh, since uh, for four days in a row since 1982, which seems extraordinary given the run higher we've had over various stretches of time on the markets. But solid gains back-to-back is what we've witnessed. And again, you'll notice the outsized performance by the NASDAQ, this bounce of 2.6%. Again, that is a, a vote by some investors that we won't see the same level of uh, tax hikes and regulation for the big technology names that some had feared going to the election, given how tight this race has been. So there's been a little bit of repositioning. Uh, of course, uh, facts can change on the ground as we wait for the official count, but investors move quickly before uh, having full evidence. And you can see their repositioning of markets around these big technology names. But over the course of the week now, let's just take stock of how much we've claimed. We've gained uh, roughly uh, just over 7% on uh, both the S&P and, and the Dow. A little bit more on the Nasdaq as a result of that tech story, the bounce almost 9%, so very strong gains that have also been mirrored in some of the European markets that have kept pace with their American peers this week. But uh, don't forget, coming into the election, we did see red ink, so in some ways it's clawing back some of those losses that we had uh, just a week ago. US futures uh, for the final day of the session as we also count down for non-farm payrolls today, a data point that could set the scene for the challenge for whoever takes the presidency. Uh, but so far, we look like we are in for a weaker session. The numbers on the Dow suggest a peel back of more than 100 points at this stage. So it would be a break from some of the screen that we've witnessed on the show. Karen, I don't know about you, but my favourite Oscar Wilde quote is, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Paul Gamble's, meanwhile, MD and co-founder of MBMG Group. You're getting all your uh, the importance of being earnest uh, uh, quotes very, very wrong there this morning, Paul, in your copy. But I'll move on from that as well. And I won't even read what you put as your uh, uh, losing one parent quote, because I think it's a little bit uh, litigious, potentially, and there's a lot of that around at the moment. So let's move on. Uh, these markets, they rallied on the blue wave. They rallied on hopes of stimulus and they're not going to get either. And they're still rallying even harder, as Karen just pointed out. Why? I think they're just good morning, Steve. I think they're just reacting to to immediately uh, what's in front of them. Um, and uh, I think the, the problem is that uh, you know, every day that goes by, we, we get closer to whatever the reality is that's uh, that's going to follow. So um, I think the first thing is there's no discount in the markets for uh, what happens if things are contested. And we're already seeing, you know, lawsuits flying left, right and centre. As you say, I might get one for uh, for my electing um, Donald Trump twice his carelessness. Um, but, um, you know, we're already seeing lawsuits flying out. And our big worry is that if the margin ends up relatively close you know we don't think that biden getting 270 is necessarily the end of this to, to us that's where you know the closer the margin is the more um litigious action and manipulation and behind the scenes and uh, you know refusal to accept the result the more that's gonna that's gonna last and that is uh, is going to undermine this four-day bounce that we've seen Paul, a lot of the bounce has gone into the Nasdaq, and I was just pointing out some of the themes there. Investors were concerned if it was a blue wave victory that you would see tax hikes, particularly around these big multinational corporations these days, and not to mention increased regulation. But going into the election, there was always a fear 
that you get more tech regulation that both sides of the aisle were, were coming around to the theory that uh, maybe there were antitrust cases to be had, that these monopolies had grown too quickly and that just uh, the companies are too large at this point, so do need slimming down. What do you make of the, the fear that investors should still keep in their minds around tech regulation? I think tech, tech regulation is still a concern. It's obviously much less of a concern than if we'd had Blue Wave, but it's still a concern. But I think, I think you know, that's not the only tech concern. Let's not forget that one reason tech was selling off last month was because, you know, the, the earnings that they came out with, which were pretty good, um, and the forecasts that they came out with that were okay, the guidance they came out with, which was okay, were actually, it, it fell short of, you know, some of the really high expectations that are placed on the big tech now. So, um, you know, our big worry is one, there is still some reg risk, and two, you know, these are still priced to perfection. They're, they're priced to being able to achieve growth rates that it's just very, very difficult to see how they how they can do that. If we if we continue in any kind of COVID constrained world, that implies some sort of constraint on their uh, on their revenues. And if we recover from COVID, well, then actually, you know, the the COVID positioning that they benefited from uh, that goes away too. So it's really hard to see how tech's going to keep doing that. And in Interestingly, one thing that's outperformed tech uh, over the last few days has been, you know, what, what we were talking about last month as an all-weather play, which is the gold miners. Gold miners, I think, are up uh, 10% if you look at GDX over the last four days. So I, I think there's other places where investors could go that are going to help them if we get a protracted sort of contested situation and also maybe are going to help next year uh, when tech is really going to struggle, I think, to, to hit these, these real stretch targets that it set itself. Paul, while we're on the subject of tech, and very good morning, by the way, um, let's just talk about Ant Financial here, because it seems to me you, you've expressed in the past a preference for buying Chinese tech over American tech companies. And yet, haven't we seen with this surprise move around Ant and the suspension of its IPO, a massive warning signal to anybody investing in Chinese tech businesses that the rules and the regulations can change very rapidly and unpredictably. Yeah, good morning, Jeff. And, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you and I might think that the uh, the biggest, um, I think, concern to us is that the markets seem, um, you know, complacent about that. We, one of the one of the best performers actually over the last few days has been um, China Internet. Uh, if you look at EMQQ, which is the uh, Emerging Market Internet ETF, but it's 80% China. You look at that, and that's been that's been one of the best performing tickers anywhere. So um, there's still there's still a lot to run in the long term Chinese tech story the the um, you know what what happens with uh, regulation in China is every bit as much of a risk as it is in the states and frankly you know Chinese tech is no longer as cheap as it once was so um, it's not an obvious entry point right now we're, we're pretty comfortable to be to be watching that one but uh, yeah I, I, I agree with you about the risk and the market just seems to be completely blinking about that Paul, always a pleasure catching up. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. We'll see you on another occasion. Paul Gamble's with us from MBNG Group. OK, the earnings continue. We're going to talk about Allianz when we come back. The uh, insurance business surprises uh, as it uh, delivers a beat on expectations this morning on profit for the third quarter. We're going to speak with the CFO, Julio Tazario. He will join us uh, right after the break. Stay tuned.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back, everybody. Let's focus on the Allianz numbers. And uh, you'll remember back in the second quarter here, the group delivered a big uh, net profit fall down 29%. But they've steadied the ship when it comes to the third quarter figures here. Uh, So let's have a look at these. Uh, The uh, group has delivered what Reuters has described as a surprise uh, rise in Q3 net profit. 6% is uh, what they've given us, which was unexpected uh, based on the uh, forecasts. Um, this despite pressure on the business from the coronavirus pandemic. Um, there has been uh, some impact from that. And we'll talk about uh, what they have um, reported in terms of the pandemic in just a moment here. But let me give you some of the other numbers. Net profit attributable to shareholders, uh, a little over 2 billion euros in the three months from September. It compares with the 1.947 billion euro a year earlier and higher than the 1.6 billion euro consensus forecast. Uh, Let's pick up with uh, Giulio Terzarol, the CFO of Allianz Group. Uh, Giulio, nice to have you on the programme with us. Can I just ask you then to um, walk us through the surprise profit and exactly how the quarter has gone for you. So, uh, good morning. And yeah, we are not surprised uh, by the profit. I, I, I will say that, uh, as you see, that there was more stability in the capital markets in uh, the third quarter. And as you see that the COVID impact has been uh, lower, then clearly we're going back to the normalized level, more or less, of performance that you might uh, expect from Allianz. So the results are totally logical because our uh, underlying performance is uh, very strong. When you look at the combined ratio, we had a combined ratio 94.5. If you adjust for the COVID impact in the third quarter, it's slightly below 94. So that's what we uh, expect. And this is also putting us on a track to get to 93 next year. On the light side, you see very stable results. Market have been stable, and when we have stable markets, you're going to see also a nice profitability coming from the life operations. And then in SM management, you can see also a strong uh, results supported also by uh, net inflow. So at the end of the day, uh, that's exactly the results that we would uh, expect in the, this kind of environment. And uh, adjusted for COVID, the numbers would have been even slightly higher. But, Julio, as we looked at the second quarter, there were three things that we registered. One, that uh, demand for car and um, travel insurance had fallen. Uh, And secondly, that um, there was a a significant uh, pickup in uh, business interruption claims. And 
obviously that had some impact on the uh, key combined ratio. Um, can I ask you, as we see Europe go into further lockdowns right now and a so-called second wave, do you see those things coming back into play at all? You seem to be much more confident that the, these issues will not be uh, a bigger deal this time round. Yeah, we, we, we see we have uh, lockdowns uh, currently, basically, uh, throughout uh, Europe. What we see right now, anyway, these uh, lockdowns, they don't have the same significance as they as in, uh, in the spring. So from that point of view, they are more selective. Also, our exposure is being reduced. So from that point of view, uh, what we're going to see uh, right now is going to be very different from what we saw uh, with the first uh, wave of lockdown. So from that point of view, we might have some uh, impact, but that shouldn't be uh, at all significant as we had uh, in, in the spring. So from that point of view, you know, we are definitely more, more confident, but I wouldn't say that we cannot exclude that we are going to have uh, some, uh, some impact because of that. On, on the issue, by the way, of the revenue, that's also important. We are very uh, working very hard on the expense side, and as you see, our expense ratio has improved in uh, Q3 of this year compared to last year. So yes, there might be some pressure, some lines of business on the revenue, but on the other side, we are uh, working very, very hard on preserving margin and try to get uh, productivity gains also in this environment. And Julia, can I ask you about the US election? You spent a lot of time looking at risk on markets and this time round, we're still waiting up for the result. We've got uh, a contested result in some parts with uh, lawsuits being filed. What do you make of uh, the implications for markets? Is it a game changer at this point or down the track? First of all, we are not surprised by where we are. So we were expecting the elections to be very uh, close and we were also expecting that this is going to be a contested uh, election. The only surprising thing so far has been that uh, capital markets in uh, these days have been actually pretty stable. So we saw even a very nice uh, trend in the last uh, couple of days in, uh, on the S&P index in the US. So that was maybe surprising. We were expecting to see more uh, volatility. It's hard for me to tell you what is going to happen from now into the next uh, couple of, of weeks. It might be that we are going to see volatility on the equity markets, but on this side, we have uh, uh, protected ourselves. In July, we have decided to reduce our equity exposure. So from that point of view, even if we see uh, higher volatility in uh, the, in the uh, fourth quarter, uh, we, we don't have major concern regarding uh, impairment. Clearly, uh, higher volatility would affect to a certain degree our uh, operating profit on the life side. But again, this kind of volatility comes and goes. So I would say fundamentally and structurally, you know, I, I, the, the underlying performance is there and, and we know that uh, uh, depending on the volatility a quarter might be a little bit higher or, or a little bit uh, worse. What's the message to central banks? Give us a break. I mean, the amount of money that's being pumped into the system to keep economies going. You're one of the biggest investors on the planet and you're saying, look, we're reducing equities. Where on earth are you going to get an investment return for that? What is it? 2.27 trillion euros you have under management. Uh, absolutely. So uh, rates are very low. Uh, if you look here in, uh, in Europe, uh, rates are negative. So I was just looking at the bonds uh, where you get uh, minus uh, 60 basis points. So it means that uh, if you put 100 in a bond 
today, in 10 years down the road, you get 94. So that's definitely a challenge, but uh, that's also the reason why we have been focusing over, over time on alternative strategy where you can get uh, any liquidity premium. And then again, you have to work a lot on the liability side, and that's also the reason why we are, uh, we are introducing new products uh, across Europe where we are basically adjusting the, the guarantee to, to the level of interest rate that we, we see. So it's about uh, clearly trying to get some liquidity premium on the asset side and having asset manager like uh, PIMCO and the GI is helping us a lot. And on the other side, clearly we need to do the hard work on the, on the guarantees and making sure that uh, the asset liability management is uh, functioning uh, as good as it can. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.